Welcome to another episode of the London Talks at Night podcast. Today we're joined in the show by Jules Evans. Jules is one of the leading philosophers in the UK. He's a best-selling author and he's also one of the leading researchers in the field of ecstatic experiences and how these experiences of ecstasy can actually improve your life and be, be, be healing for people, be beneficial. So Jules is giving a talk with us on the 21st of May in Juju's Bar in Shoreditch. And you get your tickets for that on a funzing.com. Enjoy the show. All right, so today we're joined on the show by Jules Evans. Jules is a research fellow at the Centre for the History of Emotions at Queen Mary University of London. He's the author of Philosophy for Life and Other Dangerous Situations in 2012 and The Art of Losing Control, which has just come out. Welcome to the show, Jules. Thanks for having me. So, Jules, could you just, to get started, give us a bit about your background, where you come from, how you got into this line of work of philosophy, sort of thing? Um, sure. Uh, I grew up in London. Uh, I was a journalist for the first 10 years of my career. Um, I was based in Russia for four years. Um, and so I've always loved writing. I've always wanted to be a writer. Um, I, I started a blog 10 years ago as well. So I've, I, I have my own blog, philosophyforlife.org, and do a, a newsletter every Friday. So uh, writing is just what gives me pleasure. It's not a chore for me. And how I got writing about um, psychology and philosophy was um, basically I, by the age of about 18, I've managed to mess myself up a bit by um, doing a fair amount of drugs, like uh, kind of LSD, ecstasy and so forth, when I was uh, a teenager. Um, and uh, I, I managed to get better when I was about 22, um, partly through um, a type of therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy, which I then found um, comes directly from Greek philosophy. So basically, having been quite messed up and suffering from anxiety, depression, and, and post-traumatic stress, that got me interested in how the mind can go wrong and how we can get through that and find kind of healing. So um, that just became my kind of passion, trying to find ways to help people think ideas, techniques that are therapeutic to help people find healing. Brilliant. Um, so you've just read a book called The Art of Losing Control. Yeah, um, a philosopher's search for ecstatic experiences. Mm -hmm. So, how did you get? What motivated you to write this book in particular? Well, the first book I wrote was all about um, how people use Greek philosophy for healing today, and you know, use it as a kind of life philosophy. But by the end of writing that book, I felt that Greek philosophy um, missed some stuff out. Greek philosophy is very much about using your reason and self-control to try and be happier and to try and flourish. But I thought there are moments when we let go of control, when we surrender control, uh, and we're not really using our reason, but we're using some, you know, going into some different type of consciousness. And those moments can be really healing too. So for this second book, I wanted to look at um, you know, how we go beyond our ordinary egos. So I was looking at this idea of ecstasy. Um, ecstasy, we now think of it as like meaning MDMA or, um, you know, might talk about uh, football fans being ecstatic if, if their team wins the FA Cup or something. But the original meaning of um, ecstasy uh, in Greek, ecstasis, 
It means moments when you go beyond your ordinary self and you feel a connection to something bigger than you. So I was interested in um, how do we find that today? We're a post-religious culture. Only 2% of us um, go to church anymore. So how can we get the experience of, of that kind of transcendence, of, of, of going beyond the ego and feeling connected to other things? Um, when are those experiences good for us? And when are they bad for us? That's what I went to, to find out. Wow, OK. Mm-hmm. Now, these experiences seem mm. to have been part of human civilizations and cultures from, from day one to mm. back. Yeah. But why do you think in our society we don't make time for them and mm. almost separated ourselves from them? I think it's, um, it's been a, a gradual, long process. Um, so going all the way back to the Reformation, uh, for example, we, we, one of the ways we used to make sense of these kind of experiences was through uh, monastic culture. So you had monks and nuns, and they were, you know, that's where a lot of the writing about ecstasy comes from, kind of mysticism. With the, with the Reformation, that all gets kind of destroyed. Um, and then in the Enlightenment, you, you, you basically have this idea that um, ecstasy is, 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 is both a threat to your individual sanity and it's a threat to public safety. So if you kind of surrender control and feel some connection to God or, 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 or spiritual reality, then, um, you know, that's, that's just, um, you know, a form of, of madness. This is, this is what comes to be believed in the Enlightenment. So, um, and then in the 19th century, you have psychologists and psychiatrists basically kind of saying, if you have an ecstatic experience, um, this is like hysteria, or nowadays we'd say it's psychosis. So as a result of this, I mean, I, I talk about this long pathologization of ecstasy, which basically means over the last 300 years or so, ecstatic experiences have been equated with, with mental illness, with, with losing it. As a result, I think we became rather afraid of, 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 of lo- losing control, of surrendering to something greater than us, because we were worried about going, either going mad or being thought, you know, that we were mad. We, we, we got, became more afraid of like losing control. We stopped believing that there was anything beyond the ego. And if you go beyond the ego, that way, like madness lies, basically. Okay. Um, now, you, have you had any, prior to writing this book, have you had any mm. ecstatic experiences that can open your eyes to this? Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing I've realized is these experiences are pretty common. We don't talk about them much because we're still a bit embarrassed about them. Uh, and ashamed of them sometimes, but they're pretty common. So you know, the um, just before I talk about my my own experiences, I just want to talk more generally. Um, for example, Gallup—they're this polling agency, right? So they've been asking people. Um, they do a poll, a global poll, and they say, "Have you ever had a mystical experience where you feel connected to something greater than you?" Um, and in the um, 1960s, only 20% of people said yes. But in about 1960. Now it's about 50% of people. So I did a survey where I asked that same question. Have you ever felt you went beyond your ordinary self and felt connected to something bigger than you? Something like 80% of people said they felt that. Atheists, agnostics, Christians, Buddhists, all different types. So this is quite a common thing that happens to us. Even though we don't talk about it much, people are going and having these unusual experiences. Um, so, yeah, I've I've had different kinds right you can have moments of 
where you feel absorbed in a book, say. I mean, that's not full-on ecstasy, but it's a kind of ego transcendence, moments when you get really absorbed in a piece of music or a concert and you just you come out feeling somehow renewed and, and, and revived. And then there are kind of deeper forms of, of ecstasy that you might get during psychedelics or deep contemplation or, uh, or a kind of religious experience or in a, in a moment of, of communion with nature. So I've had all kinds of different ones, you know, from the kind of light moments of flow or, 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 or kind of being lost in, in a work of art to much deeper moments. So as I said, I did a fair amount of psychedelics when I was younger. So I've had all, all kinds of experiences on them, you know, like thinking I was in connection with spirits or like in connection with nature, that kind of thing, you know, visions of, of, of uh, you yeah, know, anyone who's done psychedelics have had things like that. Um, I think what, what really got me interested in this topic was I had a, one of the things that helped me recover from mental illness when I was in my early 20s was, was a kind of near-death experience. Um, so I basically had a skiing accident where I, I fell off a mountain and fell 30 foot and um, could have killed myself, really. I had, you know, I had, I've still got the metal pole in my leg from this accident, wow. like, you know, 20 years ago. And when I, I fell off the mountain, knocked myself unconscious and had the kind of basic near-death type thing where I kind of saw a white light, felt filled with love and felt everything's okay and, you know, everything's going to be all right. Um, and, yeah, a very weird experience, right? It was completely beyond, you know, my, uh, my normal vocabulary. I didn't know what, what it was, didn't know what I had connected to, never spoke to anyone about it. Until I wrote this, until my, my first book, really, I never had spoken even to my family about it. Because what do you say, right? Even just talking to you about it, it sounds kind of bizarre. Like, what, you fell off a mountain and saw a white light. All, all I can say is that that was really helpful to me in, in recovering from mental illness. Because um, what post-traumatic stress is, basically you feel like your ego is broken. You feel like there's this thing called Jules or there's this thing called Nile, and it's like, it's in a bad state and it, you know you don't know how to fix it and a lot of mental illness is like that we, we have this we feel like our ego is somehow broken what happens in these kind of deep ecstatic experiences which you can get through near-death experiences or through meditation or through psychedelics and so on is you think I'm not just my ego there's something more I, there's something bigger than that far bigger and it's kind of always okay um, and sometimes people feel in touch with that bigger self and that enables them to like let go and think ah, oh, it's all right I don't have to kind of sustain the defenses of, of this thing called Nile or you know this thing called Jules Which we're constantly doing all day, right? We're constantly like how am I doing? Am I doing okay? You know, how do other people think of me? Which is very exhausting and sometimes we get these things where go, oh, there's something bigger than that I don't have to just keep this you know, going the, this kind of charade or whatever. There's something more. So that's what I felt on that experience. And that was really healing to me. And I'd, I want to know how do we help people find that kind of experience and open up to the possibility there's something more than their ego. Do you think there's something... Do you think something called post-traumatic growth exists? Do you think that's a real thing? Um, yeah, Absolutely. I mean, that was, that's what it was. I had post-traumatic stress for like five years, 
and then I kind of went through that and you know felt found some kind of healing or redemption and that yeah that was that was a ended up being a, a, a very kind of important experience for my life um have you ever read Joseph Campbell like the, if you read that the kind of hero's journey right yeah. so I think that's what happens with a lot of people when they go through like mental illness and come out the other side it feels like a kind of rite of passage you've gone through the darkness you've gone through dissolution and then you come back with some kind of deeper sense of self and a sense of kind of like mission as well like what have I learned from this awful <laughs> hellish descent and then how can I help other people who are still stuck there so yeah um, I mean that's I think that's what it was it was post-traumatic growth yeah and now in modern society and um, could you talk a little bit about the different ways people can and do achieve these ecstatic yeah sure so I mean I've, I've decided that we basically have a fundamental urge to kind of transcend the ego there's something in us that that wants to get out of our head somehow because we because it's so boring and and depressing to be stuck there just in your ego and like i said there are smaller and greater ways the most frequent way we use to get out of our heads is booze right yeah. it's fundamental to our society and to the maintenance of our mental health <laughs> that's how we let go that's how we kind of ease down the walls of our of our ego and feel connected to one another and feel relaxed and so on and obviously that there's a lot of problems with that too because actually what we're doing is we're just using it as a sedative just to turn off the mind and stuff but there are um there are also ways that we still try to find like these deeper forms of ecstasy these, these deeper forms of ego transcendence so I look at them in, 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 in my book. Let's, on the one hand, there's like Christianity still. It's not very big anymore in our society, but it's become more ecstatic. So, you know, you go to church now, even, you know, boring old Church of England, and it's kind of what they call neo-Pentecostal. So it's like a Pentecostal church, you know, like a gospel church or something. You know, it's all about people opening themselves up to, to the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it's with with rock rock music. And you go to a church now; it's like it's like going to a, a kind of festival or something. So in, the, in my book, even though I'm a, I'm an agnostic, I, I went along to one of these ecstatic churches for about a for about a year, which does this thing called the Alpha Course. You might have heard of it. Um, yeah, and I was in that community for for about a year or so, exploring that kind of scene, and and, and I guess learning from it as well. Um, then I think for, for people who, people also very much look to the arts. So that's been something in Western culture, like since the 16th century or so, there's been this slow decline of faith in Christianity. But people have looked to the arts instead for transcendence, for ways to go beyond our egos, whether that be kind of, you know, um, the theater or the cinema. I think the cinema is an amazing way of exploring these kinds of altered states because it, it's almost like a kind of dream laboratory which can take us you know into these different types of consciousness into trance states or dream states and, and ecstatic states and so on so i'm a huge fan of, of how cinema does that and then you've got kind of uh, rock and roll and all the different types of pop music and um, one i look in the book at how the huge influence that rock and roll and pop music in general has had on our culture since the 1950s. You know, 
particularly in the 50s, 60s and 70s, it was the most important thing for young people. Um, and how rock and roll kind of came from the church. So the pioneers of rock and roll, like Little, Little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis and so on, they were, a lot of them, they, they were singers in the church, in the Pentecostal church. And what they did to invent rock and roll was take the ecstasy of the church and secularize it. So that when we go to a, a rock concert or, or a rave, what we're doing in a way is we're getting the experience of Christian ecstasy, hallelujah, you know, hands in the air, but without the dogma. Um, so I also interviewed in the book Sister Bliss uh, from, the, from the group Faithless. And she talks about house music. She was, you know, like me, very into kind of rave in the, in the late 80s and 90s. And she talks about house music as a kind of church for the unchurched, where you have this kind of collective ecstasy, this collective communion. I mean, she, and, you know, which is, you know, you think about it, she's called Sister Bliss. She's in a band called Faithless. You know, she has a song, God is a, a DJ. She actually lives in a church in, in North London. So for her, it's very much a kind of form of a church for the unchurched, you know. Um, and then, obviously, meditation has made a huge return to our culture as well. Um, you know, going back to the, the 16th century, we, we completely, we, in the Reformation, we got rid of all our monasteries and nunneries. We completely lost our own contemplative tradition. And I think that was very damaging for our culture because contemplation is one of the fundamental ways that we go beyond the ego and explore what's beyond that little me. And we lost that in our culture. But then what's happened in the last, um, let's say, 50 years, since the 1960s, has been this um, huge invasion of Eastern meditation practices. Transcendental meditation, mindfulness, Vipassana, Hare Krishna, all these different types of things. And they've become now yoga as well. They've become ubiquitous. I mean, I've got like 10 friends in London who are yoga teachers. Do you, you got any friends who are yoga teachers? Three or four, yeah. Right, yeah. So, do you have any friends who are monks or nuns? No. So, right, we've kind of, we've we've lost that, you know, we've lost that monastic tradition. But we have all these Eastern practices coming in, which are filling a vacuum because, like I said, we're desperate for ways to go beyond our ego, and in the absence of a kind of indigenous tradition, we, we're desperately looking to Tibetan Buddhism or, or Peruvian shamanism or these other kind of ways to go beyond the ego. Do you think it's it's filling the vacuum enough. Is it an adequate replacement, or are we kind of more wired for Christianity? And yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a really good question, and um, I think there's something to be said for that. That we are, in some ways, wired for for Christianity. Um, how are you gonna? How are you gonna really? You can go and do ayahuasca for a week in, in the Peruvian jungle, but this is a completely alien culture. Peruvian shamanism, I mean, what could be further from, from you know, from Shoreditch or something like that? Or, or, or Tibetan Buddhism. I, I love, you know, what little I know of it. You know, Buddhist culture has got so much wisdom to it. But this gang, it's a very different culture to ours. Um, you know, different, different myths, different... Um, stories, diff a different idea of the self. So, I mean, are we, are we, we can't all become like Tibetans and learn Sanskrit and stuff. And what I find in a way is 
Christianity, we've got this kind of, the stories and myths and kind of emotional tropes of Christianity are deep in our like cultural DNA. And a lot of the time, new forms of ecstasy that have arisen in our culture, what they've done in a way is remix Christianity. So you think about rock and roll, I mean, how much that just remixes some of the, you know, the, the, the tropes and ideas of, of Christianity from like, you know, I am the resurrection, uh, sorry, I'm the resurrection to take me to the river, you know, and so many of the great rock and roll songs are really remixes of, of Christianity. Um, or you think about things like, um, you know, Lord of the Rings or even like Harry Potter. In some ways, they're remixes of, of, of kind of Christian stories of, of redemption. So um, I, I wonder if there's a way for us to engage with our Christian heritage, even if we don't accept the kind of A, B and C of Christianity, even if we don't think Jesus was the only son of God whose death redeemed us, which, which I personally don't believe. But... I still want to find a way to be able to go to a cathedral, say, and enjoy uh, an Easter service or to read, um, you know, T.S. Eliot or George Herbert or to listen to Bach, because this is a kind of ready-made um, infrastructure of transcendence, which is part of our heritage, if you see what I mean. So I think there should be a way for agnostics and atheists to kind of connect to that culture, as well as exploring Peruvian shamanism and Tibetan Buddhism, you know, because there's, of course, there's amazing wisdom to be learned from other cultures too. It's sort of like having your cake and eating it too. Yeah, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe. See, this is an interesting question for 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 you and me because I mean, you talk about temple talks. Um, can we have the experience of church um, without the dogma? All right. And, and that's that's very Western kind of thing. Like I, I interviewed Brian Eno, great record producer and artist, and he's, he was in a gospel choir. And he was the only, in New York, and he was the only atheist in that choir. They didn't know he was an atheist, but he was. And he said, I think I had the same experience of ecstasy as everyone else in that choir, but uh, without the dogma. But, um, you know what? What? What is? What's? Is? Is that definitely the kind of what we want? Like the experience of ecstasy without any ethical commitments? Isn't that a bit of a free ride? You know what I mean? Like having your cake uh, uh, and eating it, as it were. That we want the rapture, but we don't want to change in any way, and we don't want to be beholden to any external authority. I, I'm not sure of the answer to that because that's definitely true of me. That I don't, you know, I'm very wary of signing up to any commandments or giving away my freedom to any external authority. I'm very suspicious of priests and so forth. But do we need kind of proper ethical commitments? Um, do we, you know, is is ecstasy without ethics just a thrill? That's an interesting <laughs> question for sure. Yeah. So Jules, last question to finish off, because I know you've got to run. Um, where can people find you online and where can they find the book? Because it really is a fascinating read. Okay, sure. Um, so you can find me online at um, philosophyforlife.org. Um, the book is out, um, well, uh, it's, it's out on the 24th of, of April um, in all good bookstores, uh, in hardback and paperback. 
Um, and yeah, I'm going to be doing talks at, at different festivals as well um, over the summer at, at Hay, at Wilderness and so on. So um, come along to one of those events too. And hopefully see you at this, um, this Temple Talks in, in May. May. It's the 21st of May. The 21st of May, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Jules, thanks so much for the interview. I really appreciate it. Nice one, now. Thanks right. a lot. Cheers. Cheers.